Chapter 15, Part 1 of the Commentaries on the Laws of England, Book 2, by William Blackstone. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Roy Haynes. Of Title by Purchase and First by Achette. Part 1. Purchase, perquisitio, taken in its largest and most extensive sense, is thus defined by Littleton. The possession of lands and tenements, which a man hath by his own act or agreement, and not by descent from any of his ancestors or kindred. In this sense, it is contradistinguished from acquisition by right of blood, and includes every other method of coming to an estate, but merely that by inheritance, wherein the title is vested in a person, not by his own act or agreement, but by the single operation of law. Purchase, indeed, in its vulgar and confined acceptation, is applied only to such acquisitions of land as are obtained by way of bargain and sale for money or some other valuable consideration. But this falls far short of the legal idea of purchase, for if I give land freely to another, he is in the eye of the law a purchaser, and falls within Littleton's definition, for he comes to the estate by his own agreement, that is, he consents to the gift. A man who has his father's estate settled upon him in tail before he is born is also a purchaser, for he takes quite another estate than the law of descent would have given him. Nay, even if the ancestor devises his estate to his heir at law by will, with other limitations or in any other shape than the course of descent would direct, such heir shall take by purchase. But if a man, seized in fee, devises his whole estate to his heir at law, so that the heir takes neither a greater nor less estate by the device than he would have done without it, he shall be adjudged to take by descent, even though it be charged with encumbrances, for the benefit of creditors and others who have demands on the estate of the ancestor. If a remainder be limited to the heirs of Sempronius, here Sempronius himself takes nothing, but if he dies during the continuance of the particular estate, his heirs shall take as purchasers. But if an estate be made to A for life, remainder to his right heirs in fee, his heirs shall take by descent, for it is an ancient rule of law that wherever the ancestor takes an estate for life, the heir cannot by the same conveyance take an estate in fee by purchase, but only by descent. And if A dies before entry, still his heir shall take by descent and not by purchase. For where the heir takes anything that might have been vested in the ancestor, he takes by way of descent. The ancestor during his life beareth in himself all his heirs. And therefore, once he is or might have been seized of the land, the inheritance so limited to his heirs vests in the ancestor himself. And the word heirs in this case is not esteemed a word of purchase, but a word of limitation, inuring so as to increase the estate of the ancestor from a tenancy for life to a fee simple. And, 
Had it been otherwise, had the heir, who was uncertain till the death of the ancestor, been allowed to take as a purchaser originally nominated in the deed, as must have been the case if the remainder had been expressly limited to Matthew or Thomas by name, then, in the times of strict feudal tenure, the Lord would have been defrauded by such a limitation of the fruits of his seigniory arising from a descent to the heir. What we call purchase, perquisitio, the feudists call conquest, conquestos, conquisitio, both denoting any means of acquiring an estate out of the common course of inheritance. And this is still the proper phrase in the law of Scotland, as it was among the Norman jurists who styled the first purchaser, that is, he who first brought the estate into the family which at present owns it, the conqueror, or conquerer, which seems to be all that was meant by the appellation which was given to William the Norman when his manner of ascending the throne of England was, in his own and his successor's charters, and by the historians of the times entitled Conquestus, and himself Conquestor, Conquisidor, signifying that he was the first of his family who acquired the crown of England, and from whom, therefore, all future claims of descent must be derived, though now, from our disuse of the feudal sense of the word, together with the reflection on his forcible method of acquisition, we are apt to annex the idea of victory to his name of conquest or conquisition, a title which, however just with regard to the crown, the conqueror never pretended with regard to the realm of England, nor, in fact, ever had. The difference in effect between acquisition of an estate by descent and purchase consists principally in these two points. One, that by purchase the estate acquires a new inheritable quality and is descendable to the owner's blood in general and not the blood of some particular ancestor. For when a man takes an estate by purchase, he takes it not ut fiodum paternum or maternum, which would descend only to the heirs by the father or the mother's side, but he takes it ut fiodum antiquum, as a feud of indefinite antiquity, whereby it becomes inheritable to his heirs general, first of the paternal and then of the maternal line. 2. An estate taken by purchase will not make the heir answerable for the acts of the ancestor as an estate by descent will. For if the ancestor, by any deed, obligation, covenant, or the like, bindeth himself and his heirs, and dieth, this deed, obligation, or covenant shall be binding upon the heir, so far forth only, as he had any estate of inheritance vested in him, or in some other trust for him, by descent from that ancestor sufficient to answer the charge. Whether he remains in possession, or hath aliened it before the action brought, which sufficient estate is in law called assets, from the French word assay, enough. Therefore, if a man governments for himself and his heirs to keep my house in repair, I can then, and then only, compel his heirs to perform this covenant when he has an estate sufficient for this purpose, or assets, by descent from the covenantor. For though the covenant descends to the heir, 
Whether he inherits any estate or no, it lies dormant and is not compulsory until he has assets by descent. This is the legal signification of the word perquisito, or purchase, and in this sense it includes the five following methods of requiring title to estates. 1. Eschette. 2. Occupancy. 3. Prescription. 4. Forfeiture. 5. Alienation. Of these, in their order. 1. Eschette, we may remember, was one of the fruits and consequences of feudal tenure. The word itself is originally French or Norman, in which language it signifies chance or accident, and with us denotes an obstruction of the course of descent and a consequent determination of the tenure by some unforeseen contingency, in which case the land naturally results back by a kind of reversion to the original grantor or lord of the fee. Eschet, therefore, being a title frequently vested in the lord by inheritance as being the fruit of a signory to which he is entitled by descent, for which reason the land's eschetting shall attend the signory and be inheritable by such only of his heirs as are capable of inheriting the other, it may seem in such cases to fall more properly under the former general head of acquiring title to estates, viz., by descent, being vested in him by act of law, and not by his own act or agreement, than under the present by purchase. But it must be remembered that in order to complete this title by a shet, it is necessary that the Lord perform an act of his own, by entering on the lands and tenements so eschetted, or suing out a writ of a shet, on failure of which, or by doing any act that amounts to an implied waiver of his right, as by accepting homage or rent of a stranger who usurps the possession, his title by a shet is barred. It is therefore, in some respect, a title acquired by his own act, as well as by act of law. Indeed, this may also be said of descents themselves, in which an entry or other season is required in order to make a complete title, and therefore this distribution by our legal writers seems in this respect rather inaccurate, for, as the Shets must follow the nature of the signory to which they belong, they may vest by purchase or descent according as the signory is vested. And, Though Sir Edward Coke considers the Lord by Eschet as in some respects the assignee of the last tenant, and therefore taking by purchase, yet, on the other hand, the Lord is more frequently considered as being ultimus aeris, and therefore taking by descent in a kind of caducary succession. The law of Eschets is founded upon this single principle, that the blood of the person last seized in fee simple is, by some means or other, utterly extinct and gone, and since none can inherit his estate but such as are of his blood and consanguinity, it follows as a regular consequence that when such blood is extinct, the inheritance itself must fail. The land must become what the feudal writers denominate fiodus epertum, and must result back again to the lord of the fee, by whom or by those whose estate he hath, it was given. Eschets are frequently divided into those 
propter defectum sanguinis and those proper delectum tenitus, the one sort if the tenant dies without heirs, the other if his blood be attainted. But both these species may well be comprehended under the first denomination only, for he that is attainted suffers an extinction of his blood, as well as he that dies without relations. The inheritable quality is expunged in one instance and expires in the other, or, as the doctrine of Ashets is very fully expressed in Fleta, Dominus capitales de local a heredes abetor, quotis per defectum vel delictum extinguitor sanguis tenentis. Ashets, therefore, arising merely upon the deficiency of the blood, whereby the descent is impeded, their doctrine will be better illustrated by considering the several cases wherein hereditary blood may be deficient than by any other method whatsoever. 1, 2, 3. The first three cases wherein inheritable blood is wanting may be collected from the rules of descent laid down and explained in the preceding chapter, and therefore will need very little illustration or comment. First, when the tenant dies without any relations on the part of any of his ancestors. Secondly, when he dies without any relations on the part of those ancestors from whom his estate descended. Thirdly, when he dies without any relations of the whole blood. In two of these cases, the blood of the first purchaser is certainly, in the other it is probably, at an end. And therefore, in all of them, the law directs that the land shall shed to the lord of the fee, for the lord would be manifestly prejudiced if, contrary to the inherent condition tacitly annexed to all feuds, any person should be suffered to succeed to lands who is not of the blood of the first feudatory, to whom, for his personal merit, the estate is supposed to have been granted. 4. A monster, which hath not the shape of mankind, but in any part evidently bears the resemblance of the brute creation, hath no inheritable blood, and cannot be heir to any land, albeit brought forth in marriage. But although it hath deformity in any part of its body, yet, if it hath human shape, it may be heir. This is a very ancient rule in the law of England, and its reason is too obvious and too shocking to bear in minute discussion. The Roman law agrees with our own in excluding such births from succession, yet accounts them, however, children in some respects, where the parents, or at least the father, could reap any advantage thereby, as the jus trium liborum, and the like, esteeming them the misfortune rather than the fault of that parent. But our law will not admit a birth of this kind to be such an issue as shall entitle the husband to be tenant by the courtesy, because it is not capable of inheriting. And therefore, if there appears no other heir than such a prodigious birth, the land shall shed to the Lord. 5. Bastards are incapable of being heirs. Bastards, by our laws, are such children as are not born either in lawful wedlock or within a competent time after its determination. Such are held to be nullius fili, the sons of nobody, for the maxim of law is 
qui ex domnato coitu nuscuntur, inter libros non compuntantur. Being thus the sons of nobody, they have no blood in them, at least no inheritable blood, consequently none of the blood of the first purchaser, and therefore, if there be no other claimant than such illegitimate children, the land shall shed to the Lord. The civil law differs from ours in this point and allows a bastard to succeed to an inheritance if after its birth the mother was married to the father, and also if the father had no lawful wife or child, then, even if the concubine was never married to the father, yet she and her bastard son were admitted each to one-twelfth of the inheritance, and a bastard was likewise capable of succeeding to the whole of his mother's estate, Although she was never married, the mother being sufficiently certain, though the father is not, but our law, in favor of marriage, is much less indulgent to bastards. There is indeed one instance in which our law has shown them some little regard, and that is usually termed the case of bastard enye and mulier puisne. This happens when a man has a bastard son and afterwards marries the mother, and by her has a legitimate son, who in the language of the law is called mulier, or as Glanville expresses it in his Latin, filius mulieratus, the woman before marriage being concubina, and afterwards mulier. Now here the eldest son is a bastard, or bastard enye, and the younger son is legitimate, or Mulier puisne. If then the father dies, and the bastard Enye enters upon the land, and enjoys it to his death, and dies seized thereof, whereby the inheritance descends to his issue. In this case, the Mulier puisne and all his heirs, though minors, femme coverts, or under any incapacity whatsoever, are totally barred of their right. And this, one, as a punishment on the mulier for his negligence for not entering during the bastard's life and evicting him. Two, because the Lord will not suffer a man to be bastardized after his death, who entered as heir and died seized, and so passed for legitimate in his lifetime. Three, because the canon law, following the civil, did allow such bastard and yea to be legitimate on the subsequent marriage of his mother, and therefore the laws of England, though they would not admit either the civil or canon law to rule in inheritances of this kingdom, yet paid such a regard to a person thus particularly circumstanced, that after the land had descended to his issue, they would not unravel the matter again and suffer his estate to be shaken. But this indulgence was shown to no other kind of bastard, for if the mother was never married to the father, such bastard could have no colorable title at all. As bastards cannot be heirs themselves, so neither can they have any heirs but those of their own bodies. For, as collateral kindred consists in being derived from the same common ancestor, and as a bastard has no legal ancestors, he can have no collateral kindred and consequently can have no legal heirs but such as claim by a lineal descent from himself. And therefore, 
If a bastard purchases land and dies seized thereof without issue and intestate, the land shall shed to the lord of the fee. 6. Aliens also are incapable of taking by descent or inheriting, for they are not allowed to have any inheritable blood in them. Rather, indeed, upon a principle of national or civil policy than upon reasons strictly feudal. Though, if lands had been suffered to fall into the hands who owe no allegiance to the crown of England, the design of introducing our feuds, the defense of the kingdom, would have been defeated. Wherefore, if a man leaves no other relations but aliens, his land shall shed to the Lord. As aliens cannot inherit, so far they are on a level with bastards, but, as they are also disabled to hold by purchase, they are under still greater disabilities. And, as they can neither hold by purchase nor by inheritance, it is almost superfluous to say that they can have no heirs, since they can have nothing for an heir to inherit. But so it is expressly holden, because they have not in them any inheritable blood. And farther, if an alien be made a denizen by the king's letters patent, and then purchases lands, which the law allows such a one to do, his son, born before his denization, shall not, by the common law, inherit those lands, but a son born afterwards may, even though his elder brother be living. For the father, before denization, had no inheritable blood to communicate to his eldest son, but by denization it acquires an hereditary quality which will be transmitted to his subsequent posterity. Yet, if he had been naturalized by act of parliament, such eldest son might then have inherited, for that cancels all defects and is allowed to have a retrospective energy which simple denization has not. End of chapter 15, part 1